was getting ready to say good morning. I actually said it a couple of times there a little while ago. It's not really morning, is it? No. Let's see, 4.35, whoop, all right, 4.35, not morning anymore. Uh, we have uh, three services on Sunday at Salem, so I, I get so wound up, and all I can think is good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, so I'm walking in saying good morning, I apologize. I'm not been smoking any drugs or anything, no alcohol in me, I'm good, just uh, tightly wound up. So. But uh, it's good to be back over here with you guys. I've always enjoyed uh, being with you, and um, I uh, I love your pastor and uh, his wife and John and his wife, and I just love every one of you guys and, and uh, count you as family in the Lord. And uh, that's the kind of camaraderie we feel together. And uh, I'm glad to be with you. So, Amen. Genesis chapter forty-five is our passage today, Genesis 45, and um, I want to, um, I'm not going to give you a lot of context to start with, we're just going to read, and uh, I'm going to tell you right now uh, that if I were to give this message a title, I'd never feel bound to do that, but uh, if I were going to, I would call it Joseph, Jesus, and You, and so this afternoon, not this morning, but this afternoon, we want to talk about Joseph, Jesus, and then you. So let's start reading in verse 1, Genesis 45. You don't have a Bible up, they've got it up on the screen. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it's not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall near, be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers, and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. 
Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to say thank you before we take this message or this passage and look at it and learn from it. I want to thank you that it is truth. I want to thank you, Lord, that you have given me the opportunity to share with your bride, your church, an inspiring truth, Lord, that can no doubt encourage every one of us in this room tonight. It's my prayer, Lord, that every one of us would be motivated by gospel truth. That we would not live out of duty and religion and hope so kind of salvation, hoping to one day measure up and get it all together. But Lord, it's my prayer that every one of us in here tonight would do exactly as my brother Brian prayed earlier, and that is to rejoice in the fact that we are accepted in the Beloved through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, I see that in this passage, not clearly, Lord, but I see it as a foreshadowing, and I thank you so much, God, for your grace. I thank you for the gospel. And Lord, I pray tonight that we would learn from Joseph, that we would absolutely worship Jesus, and we'd walk out of here more on fire for you than we were when we walked in here. Let us know that by your grace, we stand. Hallelujah, Lord. Bless Sonship Ministries. Bless this church, God, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for the time in worship, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the time in silence early on. Thank you for the Apostles' Creed. Thank you, most importantly, for your Holy Spirit, who is here right now to teach us, to speak to us. Do what I cannot do, Lord. Prick every heart in here. I can open my mouth and speak, but I can't bring forth life. Only you can. So, God, I pray you would do it right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, with, with this uh, passage in mind, I want to ask you a question. How many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph? Now, if you're not, don't be ashamed. But if you are, raise your hand for me real high. Okay, there's several who are not. So I'm going, I'm going to give a little bit more uh, to it. And even if you're familiar with it, it's always good to get a little review anyway, right? Because you can, uh, I mean, this Bible is a pretty big Bible. I mean, your Bible may not be as big as mine. This is a big study Bible. But the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, there's a lot of info in there. And you can go for a while and miss certain characters and certain stories. But I don't know about you, Joseph and his life and his story is one of my favorites in all of Scripture. Can anybody... Aside from me, say that Joseph is one of your favorite characters. I love Joseph. I love him because he was faithful every step of the way. I mean, from the time he was a kid, he's one of the few in Scripture that you read and you just look at him and you think, he was imperfect. I mean, he was unwise. He did some things early on. I mean, you're, you're telling brothers who are jealous of you, you know, dreams that you've had and probably you shouldn't have been telling him that, that was unwise, but as far as like sin, just blatant sin, you don't see that in Joseph. He was faithful each step of the way. Not only was he faithful, but when you when you look at him, he was a guy who seemed to me like he was, he was pretty focused on the fact that God had a plan for him. And he was just focused all along the way, and, and his faithfulness really pays off in the fact that he was a good finisher. You know, Joseph finished well. I mean, he was able to be a, 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 a savior, a type of a savior for all of Israel. 
And he was a great finisher. He didn't just start well. All kinds of people start well, right? See, all kinds of people that are like blips on the screen. But Joseph actually started and finished well. You don't see a lot like that. But Joseph did. And so there's a whole lot to learn from Joseph. And I want to learn just a few things with you uh, with regards to Joseph. Now, so that we can kind of catch up and get the context of this. I'm going to kind of give you the, uh, what's it called, Cliff Notes version of it. But if you go back, I believe, you don't have to turn over here. I'll, I'll just look over here real quick. Joseph, Joseph. I mean, Genesis chapter 37. This is my fourth sermon today. Forgive me if my brain is oatmeal right in front of you. But um, this is uh, Genesis chapter 37. You don't have to go there. I just want to make sure I wasn't going to tell you to go to the wrong place. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 37, that's where you'll find Joseph. You know, um, he, he, he kind of enters the scene. He's a 17-year-old young man, and he's he's definitely his daddy's favorite. I, I call him, he's the, he's the baby, you know. In, are there any middle children in here? Let's have a counseling session afterwards, because I am a middle child myself, and we're still working that out and everything. But for all, are there any youngest ones in here, any babies? You, I hate you, everyone. <laughs> Every one of you. You know, the babies of the family. Well, Joseph kind of was a, a daddy's boy because he was young and, I don't know, he just, he owned his dad's heart. I think he kind of traveled around with him. You know, he, he stuck by dad when dad was doing things. And I think that made him near and dear to his dad's heart. And you can kind of read into that a little more than maybe necessary. But I think you can also just look at the scriptures and see that Joseph was close to his dad. And because of that, I believe that Joseph probably knew the stories of his family. I think he probably knew about Abraham. I think he knew about Isaac, his grandfather. And of course, Jacob, Israel, that's his dad. I believe he knew the stories of the faith. And I think his interest in his family and his dad and the stories, that probably made him near and dear to his heart. You know. Now, with that being said, he had several older brothers. And they're out in the field. They're all out there you know, keeping the sheep in the field. And one day his dad says to him, back over there in Genesis chapter 37, I want you to go down to Shechem, and I want you to go down there and check on your brother, see how they're doing. Now, he goes down there, he comes back, he gives a report, and it wasn't a great report. Then he goes back a little bit later on, and then he goes back down there a little bit later on. Basically, they end up just capturing him. They see an opportunity. They don't like him. And they're going to eliminate him. They scheme up something. I don't know that they were planning this out. But they end up, you know, they, they basically assault him. They throw him into basically what amounts to a little bit more than a, a ditch today or a well. And they throw him down there. And then some slave traders come by going down to Egypt. And ultimately they come up with a scheme where they're not going to kill him. But they're going to think, they're going to make their dad think that he died being killed by an animal, and being carried off by a pack of dogs. So ultimately, they take the, the uh, coat of many colors, which his dad had given him, which was just another sign and symbol of being daddy's little boy. They covered it with blood. They took it back to dad and said, he's gone. But in truth, they had sold him off to be a slave down in Egypt. Because the Midianite traders that were going, they were going to sell him off. So ultimately, as far as they were concerned, he's good as dead. He's dead. They wanted nothing more to do with him. And they figured out a way how they could not be guilty of his death, but yet they could get rid of him. 
That was the logic in that moment. Not a well thought out plan, but it was ne- uh, nevertheless the plan. Well, as time goes on, of course this breaks Dad's heart. Dad is a wreck, you could imagine. Now, with that being said, he's down in Egypt. He goes to a, a man's house named Potiphar. Potiphar was a wealthy man, and he had a large household with lots of servants and a lot of people around the house. And ultimately, while he's down there, Joseph kind of has that Midas touch. Everything he's touching is turning to gold. Everything's blessed. Everything's prospering. Um, you know, it, it just, it's a wonderful setup, and Potiphar sees this in him. He's a young man. He's very intelligent. He has leadership experience, or leadership skills. He sees all these things in Joseph and ultimately says, I'm just going to let you look over the house. So this is a young man. He lets him ultimately be in charge of the house. He trusts him to the degree that basically he doesn't even have to look over his shoulder. He's in charge of everything. And Joseph ultimately would come along later on and say, he has trusted me with everything in his house. But there's one thing that Joseph knew he could not touch. You know what that was? His wife. What a story. Now, she's setting her eyes on him. And of course, you know, he's a young man. He's a good-looking man. And he's down there serving. And he's being uh, applauded, I guess, so to speak, by Potiphar. He's being received and respected by the people around him. And she's looking at him and just thinking, what a nice-looking young man. And how old is Potiphar? We have no idea. We have no idea if he still has his six-pack or he's carrying the keg in his belly. We don't know what's going on with him, but we do know with Joseph, she's looking at him and saying, yes, indeed. So she sets her eyes and her heart on him, and she goes after him. And you know, this is, when you read through there, and I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version. I'm sorry, I'm not giving you references. You can go through it. It reads better than I'm telling it. But when you go through there and read it, you find out that he, she, she's coming on to him routinely. But one day, uh, she, you know, it's, it's pretty strong. And ultimately, he's telling her, I will, I will not do this and sin against God. You see, the idea is, is that Joseph, even while he is down in Egypt, still has it in his mind, not just that I want to be loyal to Potiphar, because Potiphar is the one that I'm responsible to, but down in Egypt, in Potiphar's house, in spite of the hell he's been through, he's still saying, I'm going to be faithful to God. I will not sleep with you, not because Potiphar's a good guy, and I owe it to him, he's my boy, but because I am going to be faithful to God. He's faithful. He takes off running. She grabs his jacket and she starts screaming. Ultimately, you know the story. She accuses him. And I personally am one of these people that believe that Potiphar smelled the rat in the whole story. I think he knew that this was not the way she's cooking it up to be. And I think his fury was not just at Joseph. I think his fury was at the situation. And he had to punish the boy. But there was something wrong in the whole situation. I could get into that, but there's no point in it. I'll just go on and tell you he gets thrown in jail. While he's down in jail, guess what happens when he's down in jail? Well, just as he was promoted in Potiphar's house, he becomes the the main guy. He becomes the trusted guy. I don't know, self-lock D or something like that. I mean, this is not what you're looking for when you're like in 19... 
you're not saying I want to grow up and be I want to be the you know the uh, the main man over in South Lake D. But nevertheless, while he is down in in prison down in Egypt, ultimately he ends up getting promoted to the to the, finally he ultimately is pretty much over everything. The captain of the guard down there says, if there's a need, who do we want to take care of? Just give it to Joseph. He's trustworthy. He's credible, and everything this guy touches is blessed. Nothing to worry about with Joseph. So ultimately, what ends up happening? Uh, while he's down there, the butcher, the baker, I, I can't say this without saying it. The butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker from, uh, from Pharaoh's household get thrown in prison. I'm sorry. Four sermons. And so while they're down there, they, you know, they're, they're having dreams and they're troubling dreams. And they, and they come to find out that Joseph actually can interpret dreams. And so Joseph tells one guy his dream, and, and it's it's a good you know it's, I mean it's a good story, a good interpretation. The other guy comes up, and he's hoping that Joseph is going to give him a good interpretation. Joseph says to him, "You're about to die." Okay. Well, within 48 hours, what he said happens. One gets out, and he goes back to work for Pharaoh. His life goes on. He's happy. The other guy comes out, and he ends up dying. Funny thing is, Joseph had told these two guys, when you leave out of here, or at least the one guy, he told him, when you leave out of here, please remember me. Guess what happens? Two years later, he's still the man down in cell block D. He's still the man down in prison. This is not how you are expecting your life to play out. This is why I love Joseph, because the guy is faithful every step of the way. He's still trusting God. He's still being faithful. And God is still blessing him. So ultimately what happens is that one day Pharaoh has a bad dream. Pharaoh brings in all his diviners, all the people that can supposedly interpret dreams. He tells them his dream. And ultimately nobody can interpret it until this guy remembers, oh yeah, down in prison I had a dream and a guy interpreted it for me. Okay, go get him. They bring out Joseph, and Joseph basically comes up and says to him, I can only tell you the truth. But I can, I can tell you what God shows me. Ultimately saying, whether you, when you tell me your dream, good or bad, I can only tell you what God shows me. It's not in my power. It's in God's power. So in other words, he's standing before Pharaoh saying, it doesn't matter if you want me to interpret your dream. The only way this will happen is by God. Well, Pharaoh ends up telling him the dream. He interprets the dream. He gives him, tells him there's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And he ultimately tells him you need to store up for seven years, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And when you do this, he gives him the plan for it. So Pharaoh, of course, is wondering who can oversee all this. Who? But the same guy. Now comes the promotion. Now, as the story goes, we're getting our way over to Genesis chapter 45. I'm sorry, a lot of this message is context. But when you get over to Genesis chapter 45, you have to understand that Joseph has now been down in, um, in uh, Egypt working for Pharaoh for quite some time. By the time we pick up in Genesis 45, he's already had some children. He's obviously married. And things are going well. They're two years into the famine, but there's going to be five more years of famine. 
when Joseph was left, when Joseph was sold off as a uh, slave down in Egypt, he was 17, he's now 39. For 22 years, he's been faithful. Now watch this. After all this has happened, his brothers come down, and lo and behold, when everybody's coming down into Egypt looking for food, looking for help, here comes his ragtag group of brothers needing help. If you go back and read his early dream, you'll see it fulfilled right here. Read it on your own, Genesis chapter 37. But nevertheless, here they come. They come down a couple of chapters before chapter 45. First, when they come down there, he basically sets them up. He gives them some things, tells them to go back and then to bring a younger brother back down. When they come down, they set up another scenario whereby he basically frames Benjamin, who is his real blood brother and really was the baby in the family. And ultimately, he ends up setting up a situation where his brothers are standing before Joseph, begging for mercy. They're saying, please don't send us back to our father. We have already been back to him with one death, and it about killed him. Now, if you send us back again, we we can't even think. If you look up above uh, in Genesis chapter 44, they say in verse 34, Genesis 44, how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil. That would befall my father. We can't go back and go through this again. In other words, the memory of what happened to us when we had to tell him that you died, when we lied about that, was so heavy, I couldn't dream of doing this again. Now about this time, we get to Genesis 45. Is that a lot of context or not? But you get to Genesis chapter 45, verse 1, and when you look at it, it says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. Would you look with me at this passage and just consider along with me how in the world Joseph was able to do what he does. It teaches us Joseph can't control himself and he cries. He makes everybody leave. Get them out. Get them out of the room because he doesn't want to see them. He doesn't want them to see that. And then he looks at verse 2 or would you look with me at verse 2. It says that Joseph weeps aloud so that everybody hears it. Can you imagine all the years of pain Can you imagine all 22 years? I mean, every time you think you're going up, you just get knocked back down. By your brothers, by the people from the cell, by Potiphar, everywhere you go, you just keep getting knocked back down. How in the world do you stay faithful like that? You can imagine the anxiety that he had been living with up to this point, and you can imagine all the years that he'd been thinking, What in the world did I do for my brothers to do that to me? I mean, taking a beating, beating them up, that's one thing, but to sell them off as a slave. So now they're back down there, and he hears about his dad breaking down, and they went back to tell him. And that was too much for him. That's why he broke. And then you look over in verse 3 in Genesis 45. Joseph says to them, he, he can't even hold it anymore. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? I mean, he's, uh, you got to understand at this point, looking back at Genesis 44, he's a little bit beside himself because they just said, how can I go back with my father like this? The, the, the emotions are so high. He says, I'm Joseph. Is my dad still alive? His brothers couldn't answer him. They're dismayed. His brothers are now looking at him saying, can you imagine the uh-oh? I mean, there's, I mean, 
this is an this is a very odd situation. They're looking at him. He looks Egyptian. No doubt he has the makeup on, the garb. He's wearing all this stuff. But it's Joseph. What does Joseph do? Does he say, you're dead? Caught up with you, didn't it? What does he do? Look with me at verse 4. He says to them, come near me, please. I tell you, man, this is right here. I'm being faithful is one thing, but look at how forgiving he is. He had his time now. He could have very easily brought down justice, but instead he offered forgiveness. Why do I want to be like Joseph? He says, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, verse 4. Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. You've been through famine for two years. There's five years left. God sent me before you to preserve a remnant, to keep, you, to keep alive for you many survivors. It wasn't you who sent me here. Underline this in your Bible. But God, it was God. In your worst moment, in his worst moment, Joseph is able to say, this was God. Does anybody besides me find that extremely challenging? Me getting betrayed, me getting sold off as a slave, me getting treated like that, that's God? That's what he said. It wasn't you who did it, but God. You look over there and it says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a father to Pharaoh. And I would imagine he's younger than Pharaoh. I'm Lord of all this house, ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to Dad and tell him your son Joseph is down here. Tell him all that you've seen. and Tell him he's going to come down here. Bring everybody. Bring everything he owns down here. Tell him I'm going to provide. Tell him there's five years left of this Famine, nobody's going to make it, but if he comes down here, there will be no poverty. Tell him what your eyes see, and, and tell him what, what Benjamin has seen. Tell him that it's me speaking to you. you got to tell Dad of all, all the honor that I have down in Egypt, and of all that you've seen. Hurry, bring him down here. And he fell, look at verse 14, he fell upon Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And then I look at this, verse 15. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And after that, his brothers talked with them. Does anybody besides me find that challenging? How in the world does someone get to that point? To where you can look at the people that hurt you the deepest. Sent your life away from everything you know, away from everything you love, into pain, into isolation. And it's like one thing after the next. It would seem to me like every time you're going up and then you get knocked right back down, you just want to say, my stupid brothers. <laughs> if I ever get the opportunity, right? Well, at least five of you are honest. That's good. <laughs> Can I just give you a couple of thoughts on with regards to Joseph? 
Joseph, number one, the way that Joseph was able to be faithful and forgiving like he was is because, number one, he believed and knew in his heart that God is the sovereign director in the drama of life. God is the sovereign director in the drama of life. Joseph knew he was just a role player in this grand drama. And boy, if we can get to that point, we're going to learn something from Joseph. But God is the sovereign director. It's not the devil. It's not the president. It's not your boss. It's not your parents. It's not your spouse. (laughs) For some parents, it's not your children. God is the sovereign director. In the drama of life, good and bad. And he's either sovereign or he's not. He's not pseudo-sovereign. You're either sovereign or you're not. And we got to believe that all things work together for good to those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. I don't read a lot of Shakespeare, so don't let me impress you with this quote. <laughs> but I had to pull this one out on you, alright? All the world's a stage. And all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. All the world's a stage. And God is the sovereign director behind it all. If you learn that from Joseph, you're learning a good thing. Second thing you can get from Joseph is this. The road from the conception of a God-given dream to it becoming reality is often very long and difficult. The Christian life, living faithfully for God, is not tiptoeing through the tulips, is it? Mm -mm. It's not the ball field, it's the battlefield. The battlefield of life. And I'll tell you, if you've got a dream, it's one thing to start on that dream, it's a whole other thing to be faithful day in and day out until that dream becomes a reality. And I think one thing we learned from Joseph is that the road from the conception of the dream to the fulfillment of it is a long and difficult road for most of us. Third thing I want to learn with you about, or I want to give you that I learned from Joseph, is that trusting God's sovereignty is the easiest way to forgive those who have wronged you terribly. Man, I tell you, if there's one thing that kills people, from the inside out, more than anything else, it's just unforgiveness. I see it, see it in churches, I see it in Christians and unchristians, non-Christians. Bitterness, anger, we get hurt and we hold on to it. Boy, we need God's grace to help us forgive. And the only way that I think we're ever really able to forgive is to say, God, no matter what's happened to me, I know somehow, some way, the pain that has come my way has never been an accident for you. It certainly wasn't in my plan. But I know somehow, some way, Lord, you intend to use this evil for my good and for your glory. I have counseled with women who have been abused as children, sexually molested. Then they grow up and they continue this same kind of treatment when they get married and it's like one thing after the next and just uh, and, I, 
And they look at me. I have, there's one lady in particular. I cannot say her name, but she, she told me her testimony not too long ago. But she said, Pastor, I want you to know. God has been faithful to me every step of the way. Some people look at the, the terrible stuff in life and they say, why God? Of course, it's natural to say that, right? Why God? God, if you love me, why God? But then there are other people who can look at the same set of circumstances and say, God, thank you that you're with me, even though the enemy's trying to kill me. Even though this life sometimes stinks, Lord, you are faithful. I thank you, God. I don't know. I've got to tell you, it's not easy to forgive, but the easiest or at least the most important step in helping you find forgiveness is recognizing that God has never let anything come in your life without first having it filtered through His hands. And I can tell you that if God has let something painful come into your life, and He has, because everybody in here has heard it, right? Then the starting place is saying, God, I have to come to believe, like Joseph, that you're faithful every step of the way. Spurgeon, one of my favorites. Anybody like Charles Spurgeon? Mm -hmm. I think he said this. It's been attributed to him anyway. He said, when you can't trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. Even in tough times, guys, I want to say to you, trust the Lord. Now, we can learn a whole lot from Joseph. Have you noticed how much like Jesus, Joseph was? He was faithful. He was forgiving. And he finished well. I'd say ascending into heaven is a pretty good finish, wouldn't you? (laughs) I don't think Joseph ascended into heaven, but Jesus did. And I think as long as you finish well, you have to be hanging in there a little bit like Jesus. And I think Joseph was... Well, again, let me pull out another Spurgeon quote on you, but Spurgeon says, I need not say to you, beloved, who are conversant with the Scripture, that there is scarcely any personal type in the Old Testament which is more clearly and fully a portrait of our Lord Jesus Christ than is the type of Joseph. You may run the parallel between Joseph and Jesus in very many directions, yet you need never strain the narrative so much as once. Let me talk about Jesus for just a few minutes. This will be much quicker than Joseph. Let me show you the parallels. Are you with me? I need better participation. Okay. Jesus and Joseph are, are, are really, they have a lot in common. Now follow with me here. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of them, and I'm going to give it real quickly. If you want this, you can ask me later, and I'll email this outline to you. But I will, I'm going to just blow right through it, okay? Jesus and Joseph. Both Jesus and Joseph were the shepherd of their father's sheep. Jesus, like Joseph, was beloved by his father. Jesus, like Joseph, was taken down to Egypt when he was very young. Jesus, like Joseph, was sent by the father to his brothers. Jesus, like Joseph, was age 30 at their age of public recognition. Genesis chapter 41, verse 46 when Joseph was promoted by Pharaoh, he was 30 years of age. <laughs> Jesus and Joseph both were tempted. Jesus and Joseph both were hated by their brothers. Jesus and Joseph both were plotted against. Jesus and Joseph both had their robes taken. 
Jesus and Joseph both were falsely accused. They were both bound in chains and carried off. Both were placed with two prisoners, one saved and the other lost. Both wept. Both were sold for a slave's price. Both surprised their brothers with their rise. Both forgave. Both saved their people. Both recognized their pain was God's way of accomplishing salvation. Both were exalted after their suffering. And both were able to promise a future for their family. Can somebody say amen? I'm sorry, I'm tired. I just love that. Joseph and Jesus. Joseph was a lot like Jesus. I don't know if you knew that before tonight, but I'm going to tell you, when you look at this story, I didn't come here tonight to just talk about Joseph. I did come to talk about Jesus. But I want to bring it home to you. When you look at the story, we can look at the story and we can say, man, I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like Joseph. I mean, he, was, he was focused as a kid. He was faithful every step of the way. He was forgiving of those, of those who hurt him the most. And, and ultimately, he finished well. I, of course we want to be like that. And of course, when we draw the parallel, it's really because as New Testament believers, we want to be like Jesus. And that's great. But I want you to understand, when we're looking at this story, Genesis chapter 45... When we're looking at this story, and we're looking over at Genesis chapter 15, verse 20, when in the end, after after the dad dies, and they come back thinking, now he's going to pay us back. Dad's dead, Joseph is about to execute vengeance. When they come back to him to make sure that they're still on safe ground, he reminds them, once again, it was not you who sent me here, but God. The things you meant for evil, God turned around and used for good. I want you to understand that when we're looking at this story, when we're looking at this story, we are not looking at this story and we're not seeing ourselves in Joseph. When we look at the story, the reality is when we look at the story, we're not Joseph. We're the brothers. We're the brothers. We're the ones who did the offending. We're the ones who sinned against. We're the one who caused the pain that Jesus went through. You see, you can look through and see some parallels even there again, and I'm not going to go down deeply into them, but I am going to draw just a couple of them for you. I am going to say, you remember in the story? Joseph says, everybody get out of here. Everybody get out of here. I want to have a private talk with my brothers. Do you remember the time when you met the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you all still with me? Do you remember when you met Jesus? Was that, was that both at the same time a good thing and a scary thing for anybody besides me? Because I remember that night sitting on the back pew back there where some of you guys are, a couple of teenagers back there. But I, when I was sitting on the back pew on the left-hand side, and I remember them, him preaching, and I was sitting there, and I was mad as I could be because I thought my mother has told this guy everything about me. And he's talking, and he's talking, and he's talking, and I'm just sitting there fuming, thinking I can't wait to get out of here. And then he gets to the gospel and he explains that it's not, 
this, this whole Jesus thing is not about you getting it together and coming and becoming religious and, and trying to be good to get to heaven. It is about God in Christ Jesus coming to you. You don't get it together and then He accepts you. You come sinful as you are. And He forgives you and He wraps you in His love. But I, I remember that night just being broken under the awareness. 800 people in the room and I felt like it was just me and God. I remember just thinking, oh my Lord, I have never cried in public sober before that night. And that night, I just broke down and cried in front of everybody. And I didn't care who saw me because as far as I was concerned, it was me and him. That was it. And when I think about this story, when Joseph tells everyone to get out, I just want to remind you, you've been through that too, haven't you? You remember when... when um, when Joseph says, come near to me, please, you're told you're, you're a sinner. You're guilty. You cost Jesus his very blood. You've sinned against God. God could, in that moment, you could have had this reaction. But what did you get on the other side of that? The law is pushing you away. But the gospel, the good news is saying, come near, please. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful thing? And that's what Joseph did with his brothers. He acknowledged the worst of their sin. And he tells his brothers, forgive yourselves. Forgive yourselves. Don't live in the fact of what you put me through. Because know this. What I went through, I was glad to go through. Praise God. So that you might be saved. Praise God. Joseph told his brothers, don't sweat guys, I forgive you. I forgive you. I know your worst secret. I know what you did to me. You've been running from this for 22 years and it's caught up with you. Right here. And I love you. Praise God. God knows the very worst about you. Stuff that the people around you, if they knew what you did, they wouldn't be sitting near you. And God is saying through His Son, Jesus, I know the worst about you. And I love you anyway. That's the gospel. Joseph promised to take his riches and take care of his brothers down in Egypt. He promised to pour his love on them. And he promised them, as long as I am in my position, my family will have no worries. Joseph's promise went for so long, right? But then it fizzled because then there rose a king who knew not Joseph. Well, I want you to know there's a difference. Our king is forever. You see, when Jesus promises us a future, it is an eternal promise. He has ascended to the throne and the promise he's given us of, of forgiveness and hope for heaven, it's set. Set eternally. Praise God. Praise God. I don't know when the last time you just thanked God for His goodness, for His forgiveness. But man, every now and then you just got to stop and say, God, I know how unworthy I am. But I see how gracious you've been. I want to be like Joseph. But I recognize I'm like, I'm just one of those brothers. I don't deserve grace. Could never earn it. I'll never pay you back. But I'm eternally grateful for it. And that's all you can do.
his promises. What an awesome God. Let's bow your heads with me and close your eyes. If you're here tonight and you've never received this forgiveness, I want you to know tonight that there is an invitation in the Old Testament that says, Come now, let us reason together, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In other words, come, come. Your sins are real, but I'll cleanse you. Jesus in the New Testament said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will forgive you. I will take the heavy yoke of your sin. It's already taken. But you have to come to him in faith and believe that. I just want to encourage you right where you are tonight. Praise the Lord. Thank him. Fresh and new for his goodness to you. If you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus, in a minute Pastor Brian's going to come and guide however he wants to, to end the service, but I just want you to know tonight, if you've never accepted Jesus, take it from one sinner who's been cleansed, who's received the grace of God, and who's grown to understand his mercies are new every single day. Every day with Jesus is a good day. It's not an easy day, but it's a good day. I'd rather go through hell with Jesus to live in the lap of luxury without Him. And I say that with all the sincerity in my heart. He's faithful. He's good. Father, in Jesus' name, as Pastor Brian comes, I want to say thank you, Lord. That even when we look at the book of Genesis, and we look at a guy that was around a couple, 1,500 years before, however many years before uh, Jesus was, we're reminded tonight, Lord, that we still see Jesus in every page of the book. Oh, we love you, Lord. We thank you tonight that you don't love us because we've got it all together. It's just who you are. The law condemns us sinful and guilty. But the gospel of Jesus Christ declares sinners righteous through faith. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Bless every person in here with these lessons we've seen tonight from your word.